On Point, hosted by Peter Van Artrike. Conversations with interesting and informative experts on technology, branding, culture, social media marketing, and other great topics. Hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Van Artrike, your host for On Point, brought to you by our good friends at Wells Media, which includes Carrier Management, Insurance Journal, and other fine publications. This episode is supported by PersonalUmbrella.com, where you can quote standalone personal umbrella policies of up to $5 million in three minutes online, just by answering four simple questions. Our guest today is Bradley Flowers, who's the founder of Portal Insurance in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome, Bradley. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited. Yes. Uh, also, Bradley's the co-host of Insurance, the Insurance Guys podcast and is an, an advisor to some insure techs. We'll talk about all that. Um, Bradley, I, I know um, you're, uh, uh, you've been a, a rock star in the insurance industry, thought leadership in different areas for a while now. I, I see your name all over the place, which uh, what led me uh, to, to want to talk with you is, is uh, something that popped up on LinkedIn. We'll talk about it in a minute. But maybe, you know, for those who just know the name, uh, maybe not know so much from where you came from, um, could you could talk a little bit about yourself, your career, what what got you to where you're at today? Absolutely. And and it's funny when people say the word thought leader or influencer or stuff like that. It 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 it's a I'm appreciative of it, but it makes my stomach turn a little bit because I don't want people <laughs> to think that I sought out being a thought leader, that sort of thing. I'm just an insurance agency owner, entrepreneur that, you know, four or five years ago decided to start my own scratch independent agency because I thought I could do it better than the people I was working for and decided to basically document it along the way and help as many people as I possibly can. One thing that I think is super interesting about the independent agency channel, especially compared to the captive side of the industry and that sort of thing is our willingness to share in a little bit of an abundance mindset. Whereas other industries, people tend to think, Oh, if I talk about what's working for me, that's going to somehow take away from me and that sort of thing. So I basically approached it from an opposite standpoint. You started the podcast as just a way to kind of talk about what's going on in our agency, connect with other agents and that sort of thing. So in short, I run a 10 person retail insurance agency that is based in Mobile, Alabama. We use a lot of technology. So we like to think of ourselves as a 20, 21st century version of the traditional insurance agency. And we operate in the entire Southeast. In addition to that, as Peter mentioned, I do the podcast and I also have some various insure tech ventures, whether it be from an operational standpoint or an investment standpoint. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I two things you said there. The whole thing about thought leadership. Um, that see, it makes you more authentic, Bradley, um, when you're not quote seeking to become a thought leader. That's that's. Uh, the best thought leaders are the ones who just emerge by doing great work. So yes, don't if feel you, squeamish if, about that. Uh, if, it just happens organically. For sure. Yeah. And if you want to be a thought leader, the worst thing you can do is try to be a thought leader. No kidding. <laughs> just, just do what you want to do. Do you mm -hmm. document it, put it out there, help as many people as possible. And if people consider you a thought leader from that, that's great. Because if you're out there trying to be a thought leader, it's not going to come across as genuine. 
And it's a piece of advice I give to people. I talk to a lot of agents, Peter, that want to do their own podcast and say like their local community. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have some sort of product to sell, doing some sort of podcast around that subject is a, a strong marketing tactic. And I often tell people that I'm consulting with, whether on an official or unofficial basis, the longer you can go without promoting yourself, the more of yourself you will sell or the more of your product you will sell. It's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing you said there uh, about, about the concept of abundance, uh, I am a huge believer in that. The smartest independent agents, the most profitable independent agents I've met over the years are the ones who don't hold back in sharing what, what works for them. Um, the opposite of abundance is scarcity. People say, oh, I have a really good idea, a really good program, this really good uh, you know, uh, wholesale or, or program business. And if everybody knows about it, you know, it, I'm going to lose my edge. And it's all, you know, it's not so much the idea, Bradley, as it is, in my experience, the execution on that idea. And yep. that's why I love agents who share stuff. And and to be honest, it's 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 pretty rare you run into successful agents who aren't sharing anyway. So most of the people I hang, hang out with are people who share. Well, and the thing is, too, if if I share you share with you and you, let's say you are my competitor, right? When it comes to sharing information and I share with you what I'm doing, that's working. Okay. Chances are, you're not going to take action on it, right? That's what, that's what I've found out. And most people who've done this have found out is a lot of people don't take action. Right. So you might as well share it because it makes you feel better about, about helping someone. Right. Yeah. But let's say they do do it. Okay. And they do it better than you. Because you help them, theoretically, they're going to turn around and share with you, hey, I took your idea, I pivoted on it a little bit, modified it, and I'm doing this and it's working. Now you can take that information and improve your strategy. Yeah, no kidding. And if neither one of those things happen, by you constantly sharing and putting out to the world what's working, that it 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 forces you it forces your hand to improve upon what you're doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If this thing is working for me and I put it out there, all right, now I've got to improve on that, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit of the scarcity mindset is people, I think, getting a little bit lazy. And they're like, hey, I don't want to talk about what I'm doing that's working because I don't want to have to innovate on it. Mm -hmm. And that's where you run into situations that we ran into with COVID where you know these agency owners or business owners in general didn't want to innovate in their business, well, then COVID happened and you had forced innovation, which is the worst type of innovation there is. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, that's really true. We, <laughs> no kidding, man, I have a lot of stories about that. Um, but I want, I want to go back in time a little bit, because I think it, it, in my, in my brain kind of explains, uh, how you are, are good at what you do. Um, and that is your your sales experience, um, sales and marketing experience with with life insurance, and that's that's where I understand you got your start in the in the insurance world. Is that correct? That is correct. I did. I got my start with Liberty National. Okay. Um, so what was that? What was that like? Were, were all the cliches uh, did they all did they bear out? You know, to be truth truthful about what the challenge is, and and um, you know. Uh, like I hear it's I hear the industry is evolving where it's not uh, that that the millennial generation and gen uh, behind them Gen Z are asking for life insurance the old um, it needs to be sold not bought you know but I I think people's minds are changing about the product but maybe when you started it wasn't that way what was the experience like 
it was interesting. So I came in. So one thing that I'm I'm thinking about constantly in my agency, because we, we hire a lot of people. We most of the people we hire are brand new to the industry. And one of the things I think about a lot are the four levels of competency. And the when you go into, let's say, an, an industry or sales position, you're what they call unconsciously incompetent. In other words, you don't know how bad you are. And a lot of times that actually leads a little bit of it leads, leads to a vacuum of success because if I don't know how bad I am and I just follow these steps, it's going to work out. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was so bad when I started, I had no idea, but I followed the process that my manager taught me. I got into the industry. The, the reason I got in was I was a golfer growing up. Now I never play golf and the two guys, Peter, that got to play the most golf at the course that I grew up on were both insurance agents. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of those guys actually just passed away. His name was Bob Green, uh, rest his soul. But uh, he, uh, but, but they got to play the most golf. And not in a bad way, but it was just they were very successful in their business and, and got to play a lot of golf. So I was attracted to that. I had a, you know, Liberty National, I don't know about now, but back then was kind of set up like an MLM. So it was heavy recruiting. I had a buddy who was doing it at the time I was working at a, a cell phone store, cell phone franchise. So I knew a little bit about sales and he asked me to come to work there basically. And, and I, I, I jumped, I don't even actually remember quitting the cell phone store. They're probably still wondering where I am. <laughs> and, and I, I liked the fact that I was a business professional. You know what I mean? I like feeling like a professional. This is like, you know, insurance is a noble career. I don't think we talk about that enough. If somebody passes away or somebody's house burns down, there's not many people, you know, somebody passes away, somebody's house burns down. You're going to have the people that reach out, Hey, you guys need anything or whatever. And they're just checking the box. But when that insurance agent comes in with that check, you're the only person in their world at that moment that can help solve their problem. And yeah. we don't talk about that enough. It's a noble profession. So anyway, I like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I got started. All the cliches are true, by the way. I was a step above Ned Ryerson from Groundhog's Day. <laughs> step above. Yeah. And so my boss taught, and this is kind of how I train people today. He taught me how to sell one thing. And that was a cancer policy. And then he taught mm -hmm. me how to do a term conversion and then, and so on. Right. And so my job was to basically take this list of clients call them, set up an appointment. We, you know, we pulled all the tricks in the book. Hey, we need to review your beneficiary. And then we get there and we do that, but then we had to pivot to something, you know, that, that whole thing. But it really taught me how to, I really cut my teeth on, you know, it was eat what you kill there. If I didn't sell something, I didn't get paid. Now, fortunately I was in a position where my bills were minimal. And I remember I got a bonus for $4,000 at 21 years old. I thought I was rich. Mm, mm -hmm. I've got more money than any, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, uh, and so and it, it actually helps me now because if we're in a situation where sales are low, I kind of go back to that mentality of if we don't sell anything, we're not going to eat. We're not going to mm -hmm. get paid. Yeah. So it helped me a ton with that, but realized very fast that, property and casualty was where I wanted to be. And the initial reason for going into property and casualty was I always, I always liked selling life insurance. And I said, wait a minute with auto and home insurance and business insurance, they pretty much have to buy it. Right. 
every building you can see more or less as far as the eye can see is insured to some degree. Okay. So they have to buy that insurance. Well, that creates a situation to where we can easily pivot to life insurance. So that was the reason for going to PNC was not necessarily to sell PNC. It was to enhance the opportunity to sell life insurance. And then got into PNC, fell in love with it. And now I, I don't sell life insurance. So. Right. Okay. Well, you founded uh, Portal Insurance with what you say is a mission to solve the lack of customer centricity in the insurance industry. What do you mean by that? So I think insurance is one of the most difficult problems and the difficult th products in the world to purchase. And I think it'll always be like that to some degree, but, and I'm, and I'm not saying that we should be like Amazon when I say this, but the reason that Amazon is so successful and the reason that when I ordered a bunch of furniture from my office last night, I didn't check prices. I went to Amazon because it was the easiest. And I think that we can take a little bit of what they're doing and implement it in the insurance industry, not to the degree that we should be selling insurance online or, you know, hundred percent online or anything like that. Although I think there's some products that we could probably do that with, but just to make it easier on the customer to do business with us, it was essentially our goal. So when we started, and even to this day, when we started, we started with, hey, how does our target customer want to do business with us? And then we reverse engineered back into our processes. Whereas I think most insurance carriers, and insurance agencies are set up the opposite. It's, this is how we do business. Get used to it, Mr. Customer. And before I started Portal, I worked for a company for six and a half years that operated with that mentality. A lot of just really antiquated processes that were not customer first. It was, the, you know, we talk about all this, you know, Chick-fil-A and all these companies that do a great job with customer service and customer centricity, customer experience. It's the exact opposite of that. You know what I mean? So our, our, our motto was, Hey, we're going to start with the customer and work our way backwards. So that mm -hmm. was the, that was the ethos that we started portal on. And I'm glad you asked that. It's actually been a while since I talked about that on a podcast. Yeah. And when you say target customer, who is, who is that? So for us, our two niches on the personal lines, or excuse me, on the commercial line side are habitational and trucking. So we like to make things difficult. And on the personal line side, it's not necessarily high net worth, although we do a little bit of that. It's it's that better customer, be, better personal lines client. You know, they're married with two or three kids, maybe have a boat and a vacation home, that sort of thing. And people that honestly don't want to come into the office and sign a wet signature. They want us to take care of it and they don't want to hear from us again. Now yeah. that sounds kind of harsh, but, but it's, it's the busy professional on, on both sides, personally and commercial It's the busy professional that I don't expect my CPA to sit down and explain every tax law to me. I don't expect my attorney to sit down and explain every law to me. I pay them and I expect them to act in our best interest. And there's a lot of people out there that are just like me, Peter. They don't want to come into the office and me explain every coverage line by line. Now I'll explain the ones that I have to, you know what I mean? But it's mm -hmm. those people are the ones that we're targeting and we've done a really good job of it. And then on the, on the, to add to that on the, on the commercial line side, I want business owners who act like business owners who own a business, not a job. Yeah. Right, right. So it's a sense of a real sense of uh, buy-in ownership. Correct. So like what you have. So like-minded people. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I know it's um, 
And and the more of those you can find, because I want to get into your culture and your core values now, but the more of those you can find, there's they they start to refer others that are who are like yep. that, and it, the whole thing kind of feeds on itself. You know, we are we are almost, um, and a lot of people like to thump their chest in our industry and say they're referral based, and I don't want to fall in that category, but we're almost as referral based as you can get where it's almost a little bit detrimental that we've gotten our referrals coming in so consistently that when we actually have to go make a cold call or go after something that we struggle a little bit. And that's actually one of the reasons why I've been looking at the four levels of competency and like getting into some real hardcore sales training that I used to do back in the day, because I've got to, we've got to flex that muscle a little bit more now that we're getting into this economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, on your website, um, I love how you guys talk about the employment brand. Um, I I I gave a speech a few months ago to an agent convention um, here in Virginia, and I talked about the the urgent need for agents to spend as much time and money uh, marketing their themselves, the employer brand, as they do marketing products and services, because it's it's there's so many reasons for it. Not you know obviously you need new talent, but there's, there's a lot of good things that come out of talking about culture and core values as you do. So you say on your site, come for the opportunity to stay for the culture. Um, what, uh, what is the culture like Bradley? What have you built? Uh, what are, what are your core values? If you could share. So, so yeah, ev everything starts with the core values and our four core values are we care. We take massive action. We always play the long game and we give more value than we take. Okay. And I'll explain those those four real quick. So we care because it's the best marketing strategy you can possibly come up with. We care about our clients, our carriers, our friends, our customers, each other. Just care, right? I think a big problem we have in 2022, I don't know about you, Peter, but I've gotten a lot of bad service recently. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's quite unbelievable. And all yes. sorts of uh, product uh, service lines. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I think if that person on, I, I don't begrudge that person when I get bad service, right? Because I think a lot of it is just a byproduct of the world we're in now. And I know that, that customers have been jerks to people for a long time and, 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 and now they're getting their pound of flesh and that sort yeah. of thing. But, but I was at the pharmacy the other day. And I was, I was sick and I bought some uh, Mucinex, right. Just to help me break up some congestion. And I remembered that my doctor told me I had a, like a regular visit with my doctor and he's like, Hey, you need to take Allegra every day. It's like allergy regimen. Right. So I pick up Mucinex and I pick up Allegra and the girl, like the cash register could not have been more rude without actually just saying something nasty. You know what I mean? You just get that feeling, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like when you say, when you say like, like, Hey, this person was rude to me. We'll describe it. Well, I can't, you know what I mean? I guess you just had to be there. And, and <laughs> yeah. she basically said, you can't buy both those at the same time. Mm. And I'm very inquisitive. So I said, why, why not? And she like, cause you just can't, you can't buy both those at the same time. It was because of the whole, like, you know, Sudafed thing, you, you know, whatever it was oh, just okay. attitude. And I, and I came away thinking to myself, man, 
if she would have just pretended like she cared a little bit more, her day and my day would have been a lot better. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So just, just care. Just have empathy for your customer, right? Just care. So that's number one. Uh, number two is we always take massive action. Everything we do, we want to take massive action. We want to do it in a hurry. We want to do it fast. We don't want to do anything slow or lethargic. We always play the long game. I don't know about you, Peter, but I see some of these sales gurus online to, you know, teaching these hard sales strategies and that sort yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no way that works in insurance. In insurance, we make our money on the residual income. We don't make our money the first year, right? In some cases, we may, as the agency owner, lose money the first year, right? And I tell people, I tell my team, I tell my customers, hey, look, I only my margins only work if you come on and stay on six years, right? So it doesn't behoove me to hard sell somebody because they might get buyer's remorse and, and pull out next year, even before the first term, right? So yeah. in every situation when we are dealing with a customer, we're worried about how it affects us and them down the road, not today. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is we give more value than we take. So in every single transaction with every single person, how do I give this, be thinking in the back of your head, how do I give this person more value than the money they're giving me? And you think, well, insurance, how do you do that? Well, it may be giving outstanding customer support. It may be being extra friendly. It may be restaurant recommendations, right? My friend Troy Korsgaden has a book called Discussion Partner, which basically talks about how the, the new age insurance agent wants to be that resource for their client. So if their client is traveling to Virginia or Tampa, Florida, and wants a restaurant, wants a restaurant recommendation, mm -hmm. you, they call you and give it to them. You be that advisor to them. And so that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how I think about that. So those are our four core values. And I think the key to a solid culture is you hire to those core values and you fire to those core values. I think a lot of people, culture is one of these words that gets thrown around nowadays and it seems very fluffy and warm and we're going to hug each other and we're going to play foosball in the office and, and video games and have parties and all that's good and fine, but that's not culture. And I think too many people fall into the trap of they go to that extreme rather than, Hey, this person's not fitting the culture. Therefore we need to part ways as nicely as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think hiring to those cultures and firing to those culture to the, excuse me, hiring to those core values and firing to those core values is key to setting up the foundation of that solid culture. By the way, for those listening, we're recording this the Monday after Thanksgiving. So I'm a little fuzzy. I don't know about Peter. <laughs> um, so, so, but yeah. it's, it's one of those things. So I have a joke that I tell Peter, so that, that, that particular page on my website that you are looking at, um, I often show it when I give presentations to state associations and conferences and that sort of thing. And I have a joke cause I, I just like showing my team because they're awesome and they're, they are what allow me to do all of the stuff in the industry that I do, including Brandon who's sitting here and, I tell a joke about when a company brags about culture, it's kind of like when you see that couple, you know, it's always the couple that, you know, fights like cats and dogs behind the scenes that post on social media about how great their spouse is. <laughs> You're like, yeah, they got into a fight that day. So that's kind of a joke. I tell it's kind of poking fun at me too. I mean, obviously having that there is a recruiting tool, 
but culture is something you constantly work on. It's, it, it's never perfect, right? It's something you're constantly working on. It ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. You know, we had a, a, a situation here a few months ago where, you know, somebody was unhappy. We had to deal with it. You know, the culture wasn't great, right? It's something you're constantly working on, constantly improving. You're never finished with it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, so true. And, I, and everyone that comes into this door, I tell them on their first, in their interview and their first day, the fastest way to be shown to the door is to not play nice in the sandbox with another team member for the sake of not playing nice in the sandbox. So we abide by the rule of, hey, in every co conflict situation, be the bigger person and then come fuss to me about it and we'll figure it out. So yeah. it's just it's just constantly working on it, constantly focusing on it. It is the most important thing here. I care outrageously less about our production and our sales than I do about the culture and everybody getting along. And and you asked at the beginning what it means for us. For me, the I want to get to a place here at Portal where if I ask everyone to describe the culture, they all say safe. I want people to feel safe at work in every way you your brain could possibly come up with right now, whether it's running an idea by me, having an issue, you know, steadiness in their job, their pay, that sort of thing. That's the the adjective I use to describe our culture. Yeah, it's it's really great stuff. Um, branding from the inside out is what what we call it. Um, and and the yeah. words of Simon Sinek, you know. Uh, you can't expect customers to love a love a company unless the employees love it first, you know, and yeah. starting and using those core values. I, I I also equate it to like kind of like the only HR manual that you need is uh -huh. your list of core values. You have four, you know, um, normally yeah. we see five to seven, but we do see you don't need five or seven. But no, normally you see a lot of platitudes to your earlier point, like things like the customer is always right. You know, things yeah. like that, where it's like, wait, how do I how do I work? Um, how, what is, how does that impact my job? It's not even true. The customer's always right, by the way. Uh -huh. But when you have something like always played long game, it, it, um, it's a trigger in your brain to, to do the right thing, you know, um, get paid well, later, do, do good work today. It's a, it's a, it's an action item. It's not a platitude. Well, and the last thing also, I'd like to say this, the last thing I want anyone listening to this to think is that I'm sitting here telling you that our office is perfect and we have no issues. It's in fact the opposite of, of that, right? We have <laughs> issues just like everybody. You sure. know, it's kind of funny. Uh, so my parents met when they were 13 years old. They were each other's first boyfriend, girlfriend. They got married and have been married for, I think, almost 40 years now. Um, I remember when I was in middle school and I was 13 years old, I had my first girlfriend and we broke up. And I remember thinking, well, I'm just not going to get married ever. It's over because I had that high <laughs> expectation. You know what I mean? And, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting here saying that we're perfect and that they're not going to be like, we have just as many, if not more issues than everybody else, but it's how we approach them. That's a little bit different. And the reason I talk about culture is not to brag to, and that's one of the presentations I give to associations uh, and groups. But the reason I talk about culture is not to brag. It's, I think we need to be, thinking about employment in a different way than we have been in the past. One mm -hmm. opinion that I have, Peter, is that the only two ways we should judge someone's performance at work 
is not the output, excuse me, not the hours they work, it's the output. So are you a good team member? And are you doing your job? Those are the only two areas that I judge people by. When COVID happened and everybody started working from home, I had agency owners reaching out to me and saying, how do I assure that my people are actually working the hours that they are working? Yeah. They say they're working. Like they're working from home. They're going to do laundry on the clock. Mm-hmm. The baby's going to need a diaper change. The dog's going to need to be taken on a walk. They're going to have to run errands. Are they getting their job done? And are they being a good teammate? Those should be the only two ways we judge people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, the COVID situation forced that on a lot of agencies who who uh, had uh, maybe still have a butts in the seat kind of mentality about mm-hmm. management. Um, sounds to me like you guys are remote or are you all coming to the office or a combination? We're, we're a combo of both. We're a combo of both. So I have an office um, just because, honestly, I like having an office. I like having somewhere to go. Uh, I'm currently in hyper acquisition mode right now. I'm looking at a lot of agency P&Ls to purchase. And one of the things that I see, especially on smaller agencies, is in some of these are unprofitable, at least in the short term, if they would eliminate the office, it would, I mean, some of these, they go from not profitable to super profitable. You know what I mean? So if things ever, you know, push came to Mm -hmm. shove, that would be the first thing to go. But we're a combo of both. So we have an office team who sometimes works from home if they need to. Brandon worked from home last week. Um, we have a remote team that are all over the country and the world. And currently right now I'm hiring for producers. I've got an Indeed ad running that is running all over the United States. So I'm 100% okay with remote, but we're we're a combo of both. Okay. Um, so I want to talk with you a little bit about um, your InsureTech ventures. Um, I mentioned some something on LinkedIn posts where you uh, set up a pet insurance uh, offering. Like, can you talk a little bit about what you have going on and what does it mean to be an advisor to insure techs? Yeah, for sure. So one of the more interesting things that's happened from the podcast is being able to work with some of these insure techs, whether it be in a partner type situation or an advisor with equity type situation. Um it's it's been really fun because I like to positively affect change in the industry, and it's a really good way to do that. And it also benefits Portal. I mean, honestly, Peter, everything I do out in the industry is to some way benefit Portal. You know what I mean? Sure. And it, I recently I had someone, there was a company that I'm an advisor to that I have a little bit of equity in that, very, very small amount of equity, that... I recommended to another company and that person uh, basically insinuated that the only reason I was making that recommendation is because I have equity. And I'm like, okay, so my <laughs> $8,000 turns into 9,500. Right. Call, call Forbes. <laughs> like I promise you it's, it, it's because I think you should actually work together. Right. It actually offended me a good bit because I don't operate from that standpoint. And I've, I've made those connections literally for years where I've had no stake in anything. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so anyway, uh, the, the pet insurance thing, I'm a little more involved in. I'm not the operating partner, but basically my friend Aaron, Aaron Farmer uh, approached me with this pet insurance idea. Aaron's a wholesaler out in California. Great guy. Anybody, anybody who wants to know somebody really cool and really sharp should reach out to Aaron. He's got a uh, 
couple couple Lloyd's deals he does. Uh, one is pretty heavy in flood insurance. He's like the guy for flood insurance. And he reached out to me about this pet thing. Now, I don't have pets. I had pets growing up, but I'm not super passionate about that. And But I'm am passionate about solving problems for agents. So he came to me and wanted to do this pet insurance deal. And what we found when we started digging in the industry is a lot of agents try to sell pet insurance. And the two problems we kept seeing come up over and over and over is it's either really hard to sell, like on the carrier, you know, the carriers make it super difficult, right? A lot of steps. And this is an ancillary product, right? Nobody's out there getting rich on pet insurance, not even us. Um, really hard to sell or the commission was really low. So we approached this from an angle of solving for those two issues. So basically what we've done is we've made it super, super easy for agents to sell. One way would be you know, logging into the agent portal. I think it's a two-page quote, bind, and then it's basically outsourced. The agent doesn't have to do anything beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. Or each agent, when they sign up, actually gets a link that they can send to the customer and the customer does everything. It's super easy. It's uh, It's got the little question mark things. If the customer's not sure what something is, they can click on, you know, that whole thing. So you can actually build this into your customer onboarding where it just goes out via email or text to the customers that have a pet mm -hmm. and it can be a revenue source for your agency. Not to mention the actual reason we all want to sell these ancillary products is to improve retention, right? We all know the statistic of every client that you add, or excuse me, every product you add for a client adds X amount of years on the client life with your agency, right? And then the second thing was we came in with, what we think is super competitive commission. We're 10 and 10 and we're hoping to increase that down the road, working with some more pet insurance providers. So that's, that's basically it. That's, that's the deal. We just wanted to solve a problem and fill a gap for agents and, and agents have been raving about it so far. That's great. Love to see that. Well, I want to, um, uh, last kind of last, I, I could talk a long time with you, Bradley. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm reminded lately because I just had 40 years uh, uh, working in the insurance industry in some way, shape, or form. I started as a reporter, and one of the first stories I covered in May of 1982 was the chair of the Big Eye then, the National Big Eye, who had a had a slogan for his year, which was paper-free in 83. Uh, in, in December of 82, Time Magazine had the computer as the man of the year. Um, so it was all about <laughs> what they called automation back then um, and how it was going to change and how technology and direct writers was, was going to put agents out of business. Um, unless we too, we being independent agents, fought back with technology. It's amazing how things stay the same and, and still evolve over the decades. Um, so many people have predicted a demise or at least the irrelevance of independent agents over the years. And and here we are. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm real uh, energized by folks like yourself who are, are doing things uh, differently, more modern, um, and represent the future of the, uh, the IA channels. What is your take? I mean, I know you're doing some things yourself to create action. But in a general way, um, what what do you think about the future when you think of the the channel itself? Um, are you feeling good about it? Uh, are you nervous? Somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. So I think that agents will always be here, right? 
but I also think the disruptors are getting better at disrupting. And I hate that word, but that's the, really the way to describe it. I think that a lot of the things that these quote unquote direct to consumer insure techs are doing to air quotes, try and put us out of business. The only reason they are doing it is because it sounds good to their VCs. And it's easy mm. for them to get the money saying, hey, we're creating this direct-to-consumer product, right? The two issues that direct-to-consumer insurance has is their customer acquisition cost is outrageous. It's, it's super high, right? Their cost to acquire a customer is absolutely through the roof. And two, their retention is usually terrible. So they have to solve for those two issues. And if we as agents can implement some of the strategies that some of these DTCs are doing and work on the retention and have our customer acquisition costs be at a decent level. I think we can compete as long as we can make it easy on our customers to do business. Here's what scares me. What scares me is are the agents that have their fingers in their ears. And think that because Lemonade has a 4,300% loss ratio and because this carrier laid a bunch of people off and this didn't work, that this isn't going to affect me. And those are the people that are ultimately going to get hurt. I think we need to pay attention to all the people that are trying to put us out of business. But I think we also need to understand that we are bringing a gun to a knife fight in that scenario and that we have the upper hand. I actually have a speech. Uh, so Scott that I do my podcast with, uh, we do a, a conference every year in January called the One City World Tour. It's in Austin, Texas this year. And I have a presentation I'm putting together where I took screenshots of a, and I want to tell the story so bad here, but I promised myself that I wouldn't do it before the <laughs> event. Um, I had a conversation with one of these direct-to-consumer insure tech CEOs one who is anti-agents and I did it with positive intentions to, I basically was like, Hey, look, we all know eventually you're going to do what Lemonade did and, and Hippo did and start selling with it, selling to agents. If there's anything I can help with, let me know, you know, that, that sort of thing. And he kind of pushed back a little bit and said this conversation, it's super interesting, Peter, but basically this, this presentation I'm giving is going to be really short and, just to give everybody an idea of the context of it, the title of it is going to be Damn the Torpedoes. And basically, I'm going to go through everything I think I see agents doing that is that is hurting us in the long run and could maybe create a situation where some people are replaced by these direct-to-consumer companies. Um, so I just think we can't have our fingers in our ears. We've got to pay attention to it. We take bits and pieces from it. You know what I mean? We have to innovate in our own business. We can't wait for a COVID to, to innovate us. But I mean, agents are going to be around for a while. If we do nothing, agents are going to be around for a while. But that doesn't mean we need to do nothing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. That, that does make sense. Um, uh, but it, but uh, there's a lot of um, the 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 quote IA channel, which is another one of my rants, um, it's really not a channel anymore. It's a, it's a series of of channels because there's there's so many different kinds of independent agents out there. Where in the old days, 
whatever that whenever that was uh, probably ended in the 60s or 70s they were all the the mainstream mom and pop type shops uh, but the, because the channel has so much diversity in how they're set up what they're selling who their markets are um and uh and the talent they're bringing on i think there's i think there's more good news than bad news and I agree. if you combine that with the people who it, it, the gen z's and what they're looking for in, in work environments if agents could to your point, take their fingers out of their ears and look at employment in a different way. Um, I think it's an incredibly attractive uh, career for young people who are looking for community service and flexibility and a stable environment and actually measurable results. You know, I mean, nothing like insurance to measure how you're doing, right? Hey, on that note, I'll tell you a really cool story. I've only told this a few times. So are you familiar with Forrest Gump? Yeah. So... You remember when Forrest Gump invested in the fruit company? Yeah. <laughs> so right. a friend of mine about a year and a half ago reached out to me, and this is somebody that's very well connected on the carrier industry side. And he said, hey, I've got a guy I think you should meet. And I said, okay. And he said he is the chief insurance officer at that fruit company. And my first mm. question is, why in the heck do they have an insurance officer? Are they about to start selling insurance? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm thinking like, but, but I'm, but I'm like, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I want to talk to the chief insurance officer at the fruit company. Right. We're talking about Apple for those of you that are wondering that haven't seen Forrest Gump. And so right. I got on a call with him and, and the, the first thing he said was, and I don't know if chief insurance officer was the actual, but it, so, he, he was in that particular role. Right. And, uh, and I said, you know, why do you guys have an insurance division? And he said, his job is to talk to people on the carrier side and on the agent side and on the technology side to convince them to have their products work on Apple. Okay. Now our office, we're, we're all Mac, which mm -hmm. as you can imagine, sometimes we run into difficulties with that in the insurance industry. Yeah. Right. right. Um, but I don't, the max last way longer than PC than the PCs we tried to use in the beginning. And it's from a hardware standpoint, it, it, it's a net positive for us. But anyway, and he said, and the reason why is because you have these Gen Z's and the generation coming after them, which I don't even know what they're named yet that have been on Apple their entire life. And you were going to stick them behind a desk in the most antiquated industry or one of the most antiquated industries, one of the oldest industries in the world and put a PC in front of them with legacy technology. And at a 30,000 foot scale, that's going to hurt recruiting employee retention, happiness, and culture. And this is not a pitch for Apple. This from me, this is actually a pitch to, be willing to innovate in your industry, in your agency from that angle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's hundred percent true. I mean, you take somebody that's been on a good technology ecosystem, whether it's Apple or whatever, and you put them in front of a computer on a DOS system or on something that only works on internet Explorer. Brandon's laughing, but there's insurance carriers that still use DOS. Yeah. It's going to hurt your retention with your employees. And that's something agency owners need to be thinking about. Whether you know, there's a lot of agency owners out there that know about all this technology but don't want to use any of it. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Mazel tov. Awesome. But think about your people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about your people and the equipment they use. The next exactly. recording, Bradley, we'll get into my rant about Extreme Agency Makeover, which is a show I want to film. Um, but we're out of time. But I want I want that's exactly my point. Is the 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 medium is the message, as the old book said, where you walk into a firm, is this a place you want to work, uh, even if it's virtual, yeah. right? Does it feel Absolutely. like a place you'd want to work for a young person? The technology is a huge part of that. Um, but anyway, uh, Bradley, thank you. You've been gracious with your time. I know you're a busy guy. You, you have to go out and do some more thought leadership today. Um, but uh, for those who uh, would like to check out, it's portalinsurance.com. And you can find Bradley and all the social handles. Um, let's stay in touch. Um, good luck with your conference. And uh, and thanks for all you're doing, bud. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. It was uh, humbling for you to ask. And I'll, I'll be happy to come back anytime. Sounds great. Appreciate it. This has been On Point with Peter Van Artrike, a podcast presentation of Wells Media Group.